to take your seats. Take out your Bibles. Tonight it is done. Revelation chapter 16. We finish up the 16th chapter. We finally make it to this battle. It'll be mentioned. We'll highlight that in our next study. But tonight we see the Lord finally bring to pass what he does not want to do. And again, remember that in your hearts and in your minds. God is not willing, his word is so specific, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Never lose sight of that truth. As you study the book of Revelation, you must keep in mind that the Lord's plan for all of this is still to bring people to him. It's still to save the lost. It's still to give them the choice between one road versus the other. There's only two. There's only one choice to make. It's which road will you go, go down? So God's been very gracious, very kind. He's been immensely long-suffering. As we will see tonight, even the prophet Isaiah wrote extensively about this thing that we call the battle of Armageddon. But as, as we unveil this passage tonight, we'll pick up with the sixth angel, the sixth bowl, and this incredible time when God finally finishes up uh, this time that we call the tribulation. And so would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that we'll not be here, Lord, when this happens. Lord, we are grateful for that. But there may be some here tonight that don't know you that might make that choice. God, would you challenge them? Would you encourage them? Lord, for those who would watch online, for those who would grab the CD, for those that would view it on YouTube, Lord, would they be reminded uh, that just because you allow things to happen does not mean that you will continue forever to do so. And so, Lord, we bless you. We praise you. Lord, speak to us now through the power of your word. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 12 here, Revelation chapter 16, and then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And so, very essential, again, as we study these places, notice this isn't South America. Uh, it, it's not in the middle of Indochina. Uh, this isn't Australia. Very specific place names are given throughout the book of Revelation, so we know where all of this turmoil will unfold. Again, very important as we look at our world. Because you try and assemble these details, uh, if there was no details, then you could wonder if it's somewhere in the world. But because there are details, and those details tell us very specifically what region of the world will be embroiled in this battle and where these things will happen, then we can look to that region of the world, even tonight, to see if there's anything that might possibly be setting the stage for these events to unfold. And as we look at history, and as we look at the world as it stands tonight, one could easily see this entire region of the world erupting in turmoil in a very short period of time. And then the sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river Euphrates, which flows right almost dead through the middle of the country of Iraq. And its water is dried up. And so the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And, and notice, please underline, highlight where these kings come from. Now up to this point in time, uh, we have seen, and you remember in chapter 9, 
we, we know that there's going to be an army, and that army will be very, very large, so much so that John envisioned and said that it would be an army of 200 million men. We know there's only one country on the face of the earth that could possibly ever put that many men into, into an armed formation, that is none other than China. It's the only nation that can do that. It's the only nation that even has the capacity to do that. India has enough people, but a vast majority of the population of India are women. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. And I saw out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And so these demonic forces, in essence, are a message. And you can see it very clearly. It comes forth from the mouth of the false prophet, the beast himself. So not only the world ruler, but the world's religious ruler. They're sending the same message out into the world. And so that will rally the troops. That's what's going to happen. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and to the whole world to gather them together to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And so we know what is going to happen. That final world ruler, the Antichrist, rises, his false prophet will begin to spew forth this religious system. There will be a one-world monetary system. The entire world has been enamored with this guy. For the first three and a half years, there'll be relative peace. Peace treaty is made with Israel. They'll be allowed to rebuild the temple. That peace treaty will be broken. The temple sacrifices will be ended. All these things that we've seen in our study of the book of Revelation. And now finally, the very last ditch effort of the Antichrist, his minions, the false prophet, to garner the support of all the remaining unbelievers of the entire world to gather them together into one place. Verse 15 says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. We know who comes as a thief, amen? In the night. Jesus reminded us in the Olivet Discourse. Two will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. We know he comes as a thief in the night. No man knows when the Son of Man comes, save the Father. But we do know how he will come. And we know why he will come. We know a lot of the reasonings behind the coming of the Lord. The only thing we don't know is the exact day and time. But a lot of the other details have been revealed to us because we do know the times and we do know the seasons. We do know that as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be when the Son of Man comes. How was it in the days of Noah? The world was continually evil. How can we honestly say that the world can get no worse than it is tonight? No, I don't believe we can say that because I do believe it can get worse and it will get worse but it is getting worse by the moment. The world that we live in is not the world that we lived in even 50 years ago. Think back on how the world was maybe in the 1950s or 60s. Think of the difference between what television looked like in the 1950s and 60s. 
Think of what magazines looked like in the 1950s and 60s. Think of what was printed in the newspapers. In the, we used to have, in, in San Diego County, we used to actually have lost dog reports in the newspaper. Now it's like a, 10 pages of who molested who. Vile, wretched filth. We used to have honor in public office, and people would rather die than lie. Now lying has become an art form. And I don't mean art in the right way. I mean as an abstract thought. The world is corrupt. Some of the data dump that's happened in the last couple of weeks, interestingly enough, who's in it? Some of our own congressmen and senators holding offshore bank accounts with hundreds of millions of dollars of hard-earned money that belongs here. Everybody declaring that Vladimir Putin is really just a nice guy. He's misunderstood. $6.9 billion in assets in a bank in the Cayman Islands. Why is people go hungry in Siberia? The world is a jacked up mess and getting more so by the day. But Jesus says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. And when Jesus says this, what he's referring to is the white garment, the garment that's clean. Remember the prophet Isaiah? Do you remember what he said? Though my sins be as scarlet, they shall be made white as wool. The one who keeps his garments from being stained. And of course, we know how to do that because if you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, you're white as snow. Amen? Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And verse 16, And they gathered them together to the place in Hebrew called Armageddon. Tonight, the sixth, the seventh bowl will get there. I want to share a story with you. Evangelist David Marks, in 1805 he was born. He died in 1845, very short life. He was an American Baptist preacher, one of the most powerful evangelists our country's ever seen. He was born in upstate New York. At the age of 13, he set out on foot for Providence, Rhode Island. He walked 368 miles before arriving at Brown University. Upon his arrival, he was informed that his tuition would be free, but there were no other funds available for his boarding and his clothing, and then he turned around and watched, walked 368 miles back home. To say that he was determined was an understatement. He was born to godly parents in Connecticut, and after that incident, he decided that he would study what God's Word has to say. And as he was watching one day a field of flax that was being burned, and he looked at that field, he thought to himself for a moment what it would be like having witnessed that and walked next to the field and felt that intense heat from just a grass field. Flax is basically a, a grass. Watching that field burn and feeling the heat. And he said, what if, he had read the book of Revelation, what if the fire of God fell today? 
After some serious thought, he decided that if the day of judgment were to come, that he would descend into a well and hide there. And running to his mom, his mother, he shared the plan with her and she said, Oh, my son, the water will boil and the earth will burn. And he told her, well, he knew a spot up on the ridge where there were some cliffs and he could hide in there. And she said to him, but son, the rocks will melt. He so was overwhelmed that he said, I guess there'd be nothing left to do but die to escape the wrath of God. His mom said to him, my child, your hope is in vain for the dead will awake and they will come out of their graves. And it was right then, right there, 13 years old, he got down on his knees, gave his life to Christ. And he served the Lord the whole rest of his life. He actually died teaching a message. I wonder of how many of us could say, as he did, God, have mercy on me, a wretched sinner. You see, that's the choice that people still have today. That's the choice people have tonight. That's why these passages are here. Now, you can imagine, you kind of almost want to slap mom, right? It's like, why did you tell him that? For the very reason that this is in here for us. It should bother us. It should cause us to take pause. I want to remind you, this is not the whole content of Scripture, amen? A vast majority of what we read in our Bibles is the grace of God unfurled upon mankind, to be sure. But these passages are here, much like that burning flax field was there that day, and much like the three responses of his mother seem to be harsh. They seem to be inappropriate for a 13-year-old's ears. But the result was exactly the result that God intended. For he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he says what he needs to say, and he does what he needs to do. To get people to come to the saving grace of the cross of Christ. And so we see tonight this Armageddon that's in view now for us. In this first chapter, the Euphrates goes dry. You remember that we saw the first preview of this particular event. And as I shared with you as we began this book, all of the judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bold judgments, as they unfold, they unfold in essence from our perspective because they're written at different times in this book. It seems as though they're completely disassociated when in fact they each elaborate on each other. In other words, they're the details that at first we did not get with the trumpet judgment. So what happened in chapter 9 is now being elaborated on in chapter 16. You see, as the Euphrates dries up and this massive army of the nations begins to march towards the area of the Middle East, Jerusalem, we see God's plan begin to unfold. You see, the demonic horsemen were released back in chapter 9, and now we see this, this voice, in essence, these things that a, 
appear to be like giant frogs begin to unfold. In September 2nd of 1945, General Douglas MacArthur, who had supervised the signing of the peace treaty on the battleship Missouri with Japan, as he sat on the deck of that battleship, he said, we have lost our last chance, and if we'll not devise something greater than war and more equitable, Armageddon will be at our door. He understood it. He'd he'd seen the battle in the Pacific rage. And so here we have Armageddon. Armageddon's been fairly prominent in history, and we'll actually, as we travel there in just a month with our group from the church, there's nearly a hundred of us going. As we travel there, we'll go to the hill, Armageddo. And when you travel to that mound, it's in the Jezreel Valley, the, the plain of Australian. And as you, as you go there, it's actually a fairly compact space. And we'll look at the details of it in a bit. But all kinds of Israel's history unfolded in that very same valley. Right now, if you looked at it, it's pastoral. And the, the tell of Megiddo is, is actually on the edge, the western edge of the valley, about midway through. And when you travel there, interestingly enough, when you look at this, basically a mound and the water system that's underneath it, you can travel underneath that mound and go into the water system. And the reason that that, like many other places where successive civilizations thrived, is this huge underground spring that feeds the entire city. So during siege times, you could have stayed inside the fortified walls of the city, fortified all the way Uh, probably to nearly 3,000 years ago. Thirteen successive cities built one right on top of another. And it overlooks this giant plain. And it was there that Deborah and Barak defeated the armies of Canaan. You can read that story. And as you do that, can I remind you, this was one bad lady. You talk about a leader that, look, you guys aren't going to lead. I'm going to lead. And it was under her leadership there in Judges 5 that we see the armies of Canaan. And it is, in fact, Megiddo, this tell, this mound, where the Canaanites had fortified themselves, and she was able to bring defeat to this enemy of God. It was where Gideon met the Midianites. Same exact valley. And you remember the story there. Seemingly outnumbered. Seemingly defeated. Gideon crying out to the Lord. Throwing out numbers one right after another. And God each time reducing. Saying, no, you don't need that many. You got me. You see, to the world, this battle of Armageddon will look exactly the same. It will look like the whole world is coming against this tiny nation, Israel. What does the world look like today? The whole world against this tiny nation, Israel. It's like nobody loves Israel, save the United States of America. It will be one day that that battle will unfold the Roman Emperor Titus, the Roman army, army, army used this as a natural corridor 
as you travel through that region of the world, you can land ships at what is modern-day Haifa. And you can travel from the coast through this valley of Jezreel. And it was from there that they traveled down towards the fortified city of Masada. Where under Judas Maccabees, the, the final revolt took place against the Roman occupation of the land of Israel. That battle occurred in this valley all the way until our modern times to 1917 when General Allenby defeated the Turkish armies. And you remember the story. If you've ever watched the, the movie, Lawrence of Arabia, you've watched part of the end of that campaign. From a human viewpoint, it appears that the armies of the nations are gathering on their own. But truly, it is the Antichrist. Truly, it's the false prophet. Truly, it's demonic forces saying, look, we need to go take care of this little... They're the problem. The Jews are the problem. They've always been the problem. The Christians aren't here anymore. They're gone. We got rid of them. Praise the Antichrist. I don't know what they're going to say. I just made that up. Sounds good, though. We, we don't know what they're going to be saying. We don't know whether this guy's going to actually have a name. We just know him as the Antichrist. But they are going to be as dead set for him as America is for our freedom. They're going to be going, hey, this guy's the best thing that we got going in the whole world. We're going to follow him. And they will continue to follow him to the very end. The satanic trinity through the demonic powers that are possessed. Satan empowering the Antichrist. The Antichrist telling the false prophet what to say. They will work together to push the whole world to the brink of this giant battle. So Gentile nations look at it. uh, They're going to be thinking, hey, we got this. Now imagine that you have the armies of that region gathered together. We look at the world today, and we can look at the world today. We know that Russia is aligned with Syria, also aligned with Iran, and by proxy aligned with ISIS and those who are in Iraq. You can look at North Africa. They're aligned with Egypt. Egypt, principally North Africa, is majority Muslim. And again, many Muslim people are coming to faith in Christ even now. The Holy Spirit speaking to them. But this Muslim coalition comes together. Then in addition to that, you have this army of the east that is now coming from the east and begins to march towards the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which, by the way, goes all the way to the river Euphrates. It isn't this little tiny sliver of land that we call Israel today. The land that God gave was almost the entire Middle East, part of North Africa, all of Jordan, all of Syria, all of Iraq, even over to the beginning, really, of of Iran, which used to be called Persia, remember. Until 1979, it was still Persia. And so now this giant army comes. We're talking there could be in excess of a billion people gathered together in that region for war. Now imagine that the whole population tonight of the entire nation of Israel that live in Israel 
is about 9 million. You've got a 200 million man army marching in from the east on two fronts, from the north and from directly from the east. Imagine how they think, we got this. Little do they know that they're falling exactly into the plans of God. Oh, it'll look like a military clean sweep. It'll look like it's over. But God. It'll be more than just the Jewish people involved, by the way. The Gentile nations of the world, those that have gotten the message, those that have been ministered to by the 144,000 of they have risen up and preached the gospel and people have gotten saved and they're still on the earth and they're these radical, in essence, martyrs for the Lord. They don't care what happens to them because they know the moment they die, they're going to be in the presence of God. So you've got, you know, you, you talk about, you know, just crazy, you know, behind the scenes political intrigue. We'll look at the outcome of this battle, by the way, in Revelation 19. But these armies assembled, and I want you to get a picture of this. You don't need to turn there, but if you read the second psalm, this is what God thinks when man thinks he's got God. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision, and speak to them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. You see, man tonight kind of thinks, well, I don't even know that I believe in God. Mankind tonight thinks, well, you know, if there is a God, I mean, he doesn't really care about the affairs of men. Now, when Scripture says God laughs, it's not like it's funny. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, really? It's derision. It's you can't possibly be serious. But the Euphrates River now dries up. And when you think about that river, it's a long river. It's about 1,800 miles long. Uh, It varies in width from 300 to about 1,200 feet. It varies in depth up to about 30 feet or so. Carries a ton of water. It'd be like if, if the Colorado dried up. Not only would most of Southern California die from the resulting drought, but it would be a, a major catastrophe. But the, the bigger thing is what would happen if that river was dry and allowed an actual mechanized army to travel through there. Because right now, that would be a very, very difficult process. But God dries up the river. He dried up the Red Sea. He could dry up a river really easily. Some people have asked the question, well, you know, maybe it's just a dam. If you look at at a map, and I shared this when we were in chapter 9, if you look at the Ataturk Dam, which is actually in southern Turkey, it backs up a very, very large reservoir, they can shut off the entire Euphrates River at the Ataturk Dam. So it could be done mechanically. But I really believe that God will just simply stop it. Whether he just causes it to overflow its banks and go wherever it wants to go. The Mississippi's done that a couple of times, by the way. No longer traveling down its own main channel, goes someplace else. God can do anything God wants to do. But we have a privilege of understanding this from the prophet Isaiah's view in Isaiah chapter 11. People often say, well, you know, that's just in the book of Revelation. Oh, no, it's not. 
Isaiah 11, verse 15, the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. That would be the Red Sea. And with his mighty wind, he will shake his fist over the river Euphrates and strike it in the seven streams and make men cross over on dry ground. So the prophet Isaiah said the same thing. Anybody got a guess as to how many main tributaries there are of the Euphrates? There's seven. And I'm pretty sure the prophet Isaiah did not walk and find them all. And he uses these unclean spirits to cause men to gather together in this one place. Now, we don't know what God's going to do. Somebody asked me one day, well, you think it's going to be like you know, super demonic frogs? I don't know. I know this, that if you travel to the island of Madagascar and you happen to do some digging, you can find some fossils of some very large frogs, 16-inch long frogs. That's the body, weighing in excess of nine and a half pounds. If a frog like that croaked, you're going to be moving. (laughs) You know, I don't know what they'd sound like, but I'm not wanting to hear that one. Interestingly enough, They're called Bufo. That means Lord of the Fly Toad in Latin. Remember Beelzebub? That's his name, isn't it? Lord of the Flies, Satan. I don't know. But I thought it was kind of interesting. People speculate all the time. And it's interesting to think about how God might accomplish these things. 16-inch long-bodied frogs would be enough to get anybody to go anywhere. You had those in your backyard, you're moving. Okay. But the bottom line is I do believe it's actually demonically influenced. And notice where these come from. They come from the mouth of the false prophet. They come from the mouth of the Antichrist. So I really don't think it's toads. I don't think it's not like in Hawaii, the cane toads that you know, are everywhere. People actually have car crashes because they get on the roads and they're like sliding on frogs. But I do believe that God will use this time to get people to do exactly what he wants, even though the enemy will think they're doing what I want. How many things does God work together for the good for those who love God? Including barking demonic toads and crazy things that we don't understand, things that we can't explain, things that we have to hypothesize, things that tonight, I don't know how God's going to do that. But whatever it is, the enemy's going to think, I finally got an upper hand, and God's going to be going, you're playing into my hand. Because God's God. And Satan is no match. When you look at this valley... Because we've already seen a couple of details about this valley. We're told that uh, this valley is much longer in chapter 9 than it appears here. Because when you travel there, this valley is actually only about 20 miles long, 14 miles wide. But again, we get some insight. Revelation chapter 14, and another angel came out from the altar and had power over fire and thrust in. And remember, the sickle divides. And it says there that this valley is 1,600 furlongs. If you take that, a furlong's about an eighth of a mile. That means it's 194 miles. Again, what's up here? Is it really the valley that's only 20 miles 
long and 14 miles wide, or is it something more than that? Again, the prophet Isaiah gives us the answer. Isaiah chapter 63. And as you turn there, you find this. You, you see the Euphrates is dried up. This army marches forward. There is no way that a 200 million man army could even fit in just the valley of Jezreel of the plain of Escadrillion. And so after it dries up, after God allows them to travel, after they're gathered, they think they're going to lay siege to Jerusalem. It's going to finally be over. These crazy, the, the two witnesses that have bounced up from the dead and prophesied and then taken off, you know, this is just, okay, we're putting an end to this nonsense. We're going to send the armies of the world. We're just going to get this over with. The Christians are gone. Now it's the crazy Jews. And I say that actually respectfully because that's how the world is going to see the Jewish people. Because right now, you and I, Paul said it, writing to the church at Corinth, we are out of our minds for the sake of Christ. That's what's going to happen to the Jewish people because as Romans 11 says, one day... All Israel will be saved. So they're now going to be the target. Right now, the church and Israel are the target. And as the church weakens in the last days, as apostasy comes, as we no longer teach the word, then the focus will narrow to just Israel. God will snatch away the church, and now all that's left is these radical, on-fire, saved Jewish people because they have seen Messiah. They have mourned the one they pierced. And so all of a sudden they're going, man, I don't care what it costs me. We missed it for 3,000 years. I'm going out in a blaze of glory. And they are going to be preaching it like nobody's business. And so the focus will narrow. So how is it this valley is, is seemingly mislabeled? Again, Isaiah 63, and it says there, Who is this who comes from Edom? If you look at where Edom is, with garments dyed from Basra, those two cities. This one who is glorious in his apparel. Who's the one who's glorious in his apparel? There's only one. His name is Jesus. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness. Now notice this is his name. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your garment red? Like one who treads the winepress. And it says, speaking aloud, for I have trodden the winepress alone from the peoples. No one was with me. There's going to come a point in time when the whole world will have turned against Jesus, period. End of conversation. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. And their blood is sprinkled upon my garments. And I have stained all of my robes. For the day, notice this, and this is how you know when it is and what it is. The day of vengeance is in my heart. The year of my redeemed, that would be the Hebrew people, has come. And I looked, and there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. And therefore, in my own arm, I brought salvation for me, 
For my own fury it sustained me. I've trodden down the peoples in my anger. I've made them drunk in my fury and brought down their strength to the earth. This is a picture of the battle of Armageddon. And in this it says it goes all the way from Edom to Basra. Anyone want to take a guess at how far that is? It's about 194 miles. So the reference is this valley that is located where the Tel of Megiddo is. Ar, or Har, or mountain. Megiddo, which means slaughter. So the mount of slaughter is where this will happen. But it will transcend the actual valley and it will go from Edom, which is in southern Jordan, to Basra, which is in the north. Basically the full length of the nation Israel. One more great battle, one more massive army. And these kings of the east rise up and they begin to march. It's interesting and we'll see this as they divide. They'll split into two factions. It's going to be a massive army, but they're going to be massively wiped out. And that's why it says that the one who treads out the vengeance of God will do so. And he's going to end up, in essence, stained with the blood of those who will still continue to stand against him in spite of everything that we've heard about in the tribulation period. I think about all the things. You've been with us through this whole study. If you haven't, if you've got enough stomach for it, go back and listen to it on YouTube. But if you look at all that's transpired, everything that's happened, this has all been God trying to get people to avoid this day. This is God being going, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Choose today, choose tonight whom you will serve, but don't stand against me. And yet mankind still stands against God. We look at our world today, we look at, we are the last bastion of biblical Christianity. We are it, folks. There is no other nation in the world that currently can say that. Whether one will rise up in these last days, I don't know. But it sure isn't Europe. We all got saved because our ancestors came here to escape religious persecution in Europe. That's why they originally came. It wasn't to steal everything from the Native Americans. It was because they were being persecuted in Europe. Did they do some bad things when they got here? Absolutely. We cannot deny that. But they came escaping religious persecution. They came here so they could be free to worship God. And so our country was founded on biblical principle. All men are endowed by their creator. Not Buddha. Buddha doesn't claim to be the creator. Not Allah. Allah is a distant God who capriciously judges mankind. Endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. The first of which is, guess what? Life. If you don't have life, you cannot have liberty, and you surely won't have happiness. You must have life first. When life stops being precious, family of God, do you realize that in our state capital right now is being debated 
a hotline 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to allow your children to call in and get help on how to kill themselves. Straight up as a heart attack. That's being debated. That's where we've come to. Well, you know, I don't really feel like living anymore. We kill babies by the millions already. You don't think God's kind of looking at it going, hmm? Maybe. This army of the East rises up. China's preparing for war. You've been keeping track of what's going on in the South China Sea? They're building an island fortress. They're actually reclaiming part of the South China Sea, building an air base in international water. It's not there because they need a shipping port. It is a military installation. They finally have developed two aircraft carriers, advanced fighter weaponry, nuclear weapons. And they currently have an army that exceeds 200 million men. Why is that? Probably most of you know that China has a one-child policy. Sometimes you can have two. But you know what you can't have? Girls. Girls are aborted, generally speaking, because they want a male to carry on the family line. Right now when you travel to China... 85% of the births in mainland China are boys. If boys aren't getting married, you know what they do? They kill each other. They fight. They get really ugly, really mean. You ladies are the ones that actually knock that out of us. It's true. You... Read the book, Lord of the Flies. Find out what happened when you put boys on an island by themselves. Not a good thing. So this massive army grows. They take the northern route. Where is that? That's through the stands, isn't it? Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. All, all of the stands, the southern routes through Afghanistan and Pakistan. Those are primarily Muslim nations. It's going to be a coalition. Now they come into this region. Right now, would that happen? Not likely. But what happens if you take away the restraining force of, say, a Christian nation that happens to be defending that region of the world? As messed up as we have done that. As poorly as we have done that, as much money as we have spent doing it, the fact of the matter is the only reason that wouldn't happen right now is the United States of America. Which, no matter what anybody says, we are predominantly a Christian nation. And we were certainly founded on Christian principle. And so Jesus reminds us it's finished. Verse 17, the seventh trumpet poured out the bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple in heaven from the throne saying, It is done. 
what's done. Ephesians 2 actually tells you. And you he made alive who were dead and your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. You see, every one of us here tonight once was just like they will be then. Dead in our trespasses and sins. And we were sold out to it, by the way. So don't get all uppity about it. Don't get high and mighty because you were dead in your trespasses and sins as well. So was I. Who once walked according to the course of this world. Anybody walked in the course of this world's in here? Say amen. Amen. We did. That's what we got saved from, by the way. Hallelujah. According to the power of the prince of the air. You see, you used to actually do what the devil wanted you to do too. You see, the only problem is that this time, mankind's gone so far over the edge that nobody's following the Lord, save a very small, tiny nation, Israel, which has now become a saved bastion of God's people. And the world hates it. So as you look at the world tonight, we can see this unfolding before our very eyes. We've been told this day is coming. God's warned the world. And when it happens, he will be perfectly just in bringing it to pass. It's not new news, so to speak. Amen? These passages are from the book of Isaiah. 686 B.C. That's the better part of three thousand years ago God started speaking this message to the world wasn't last week wasn't last month wasn't after you know we we finally you know got over the Cuban missile crisis and the world nearly went to nuclear war many of us here tonight were alive when that happened I remember the radio addresses of President Kennedy I remember how close it was that those ships did not turn back to Russia. We got really close. And the word Armageddon was thrown out over and over and over and over again. From Cuba to the United States is less than two minutes from launch to impact with an intercontinental ballistic missile. We got close. And the world still didn't learn anything. So what happens over the next 70 years? 60 years? We build up nuclear stockpiles and arsenals to the point to where right now tonight the United States has some 16,000 nuclear weapons. Russia has more than that. Nine other nations in the world also nuclear armed. Now imagine there's no restraint. Now imagine the Kim Jong-uns of the world actually control all of it. The crazy people who couldn't care less about humanity. You see, it's not that far-fetched. People read this and go, ah, this will never happen. Really? You might want to study human history. Because not only do I believe it will happen, I believe it will happen exactly as Scripture says it will happen. So tonight, 
You got the choice. It says there will be a final cataclysm, verse 18, as we wrap this up. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and a great earthquake such as a mighty one, an earthquake that had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now think about it. Sendai, Japan. Another earthquake, what, yesterday morning? The one previously was a 9.0 on the Richter scale that wiped out the Fukushima nuclear reactor. Now imagine that there's one that happens such as the world has never seen. I don't know what that looks like. I remember when the one took place out off of the coast of Alaska in Anchorage when I was probably 12 years old, 13 years old, and that tidal wave swept, swept into the bay. I remember watching the pictures, probably many of you did, when the one happened off the coast of Japan just a couple of years ago that wiped out the nuclear reactor, a wall of water 60 feet high. Now imagine one that the world has never seen before. Since men were on the earth, and now a great city was divided into three parts. great city would be Jerusalem. And the cities of the nations fell. In other words, the nations that are gathered against Israel. And Babylon the Great, or the great Babylon, was remembered before God to give up her cup of wine in the fierceness of his wrath. God was telling, give it up. Don't do this. There is a choice. Don't think there isn't a choice, because there's a choice. God makes it very clear as a choice. No one has to do this. They choose to do it. Then every island fled away. The mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men. And each hailstone weighed about the weight of a talent. Okay, that's a 22 and a half pound hailstone. That's about a bowling ball and a half if you throw a 16 pounder. I like the 16 pounders. Because if you don't actually hit it just right, it just slaughters the pens anyway. But men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. Do you realize that in your insurance policies you have a little phrase in there? It's called an act of God. Did you know that? It's in there. And you're not insured against an act of God because God's a bad guy. And he might do something. So acts of God usually are excluded. You've got to read the fine print. And so people are really upset about the acts of God. Now I doubt very seriously they're actually going to give him credit for causing these things to come. They're just going to be mad because God allowed these things. Cataclysmic events to unfold. The world broken again. If you want to read it, Isaiah 24 gives the picture of this time. It's an incredible time of this final cataclysmic event. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 35, we don't have time for them tonight. But it's interesting to me that in Leviticus 24, that whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death, and all of the congregation shall certainly stone him. So finally God says, look, um, I warned you about this through Moses. You got a choice. And now 22 and a half pound hailstones fall out of the sky. You ever seen what happens to a car that's been hit by golf ball sized hailstones? Google it. When you go home, do a little search, put in golf ball sized hail damage, and take a look at what the cars look like after golf ball sized hail. That's this size. They weigh a few ounces if they're really dense. 
Imagine one that's about that big that weighs 22 and a half pounds. Yep, they're going to kill you because they're going to be going about 150 to 180 miles an hour if they're just free falling from the sky. Not going to be pretty. But they blaspheme God, and that's the point. And God says, look, enough, enough. Over and over and over again, God says, enough, 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 enough. Quit, stop, don't do it, turn around, go the other way. And man's going, well, we're not doing that. We like option B. I'm going to keep doing that. How many people do you know in your life? Well, I, I know this really isn't working out all that way, but you know, if I just do enough of this drug, if I just have one more relationship with this guy or this girl, if there's just a little bit more of this thing in my life, then I don't need God. Even in the face of all of this, man will still be saying the same thing. There's no God. I don't, I don't need to answer to him. Tonight, if that's you, I'd encourage you to rethink that. Ask yourself some simple questions. Why would this book exist were it not from heaven to tell us what God's up to? Because if people could have wiped this information out, it would have been done a long time ago. Because it's not so good on the things that mankind comes up with. It kind of is a confront, confrontation of those things, right? When you read your Bible, it's kind of like the world does this. God says that's wrong. You need to do it this way. And somehow, not only does God's word survive, God's people survive. And what's furthermore, the real miracle, God's chosen people, Israel, have survived. Not only survived, but they're thriving in the land speaking their own language. They have the ninth... Did you know that Israel has the ninth largest economy in the world? The ninth largest economy in the world. A country that's the size of the state of Rhode Island or one-third the size of San Bernardino County has the ninth largest economy in the world. You don't think God's hand is not on them? And yet the whole world rises up against them. Almost one-third of the negative U.N. resolutions that have ever been cast since the founding of the U.N. have been against the nation Israel. Now, having said all that, let me read, leave you with something good tonight, okay? So you can go home and, and sleep on it. Because if you're here tonight and you're in Jesus, this is for you. Isaiah 35. You can read the rest of it later. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and bloom as a rose. Its blossoms shall abundantly rejoice with singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellent of Carmel and Sharon. The glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God will strengthen weak hands and make the feeble knees strong. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God has come with vengeance, the recompense of God, but he will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall, sling, shall sing. And the waters will burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert, and parched ground shall become a pool, and thirsty springs of water shall rise up. 
But the redeemed will walk, the ransomed of the Lord shall return, and they will come to Zion singing with everlasting joy in their heads, and they will attain joy and gladness. Sorrow will fade away. The wolf will lie down with the lion, Isaiah 11 says. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf with the young lion, the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. You see, ultimately, even after this, God's going to make it right. It's what he's always, what he did with you. He made us who were once dead in our trespasses and sins. We are now alive, amen? He is mighty to save. What a glorious day when peace comes to this world. I guess really the question is, make sure that you're ready to meet him while you still have time. Amen? Because I have no reason to believe, knowing what God has already accomplished, what he's already done, what he prophesied and said was true about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, all of the detail given about the life of Jesus Most of it between 1,000 and 700 years before he ever got to this earth. Most of the detail of the life, where he'd be born. What would happen to him at the cross? His method of travel into Jerusalem when he would come. The day he would come. I have no reason to believe that the God that has that kind of detail in advance is surely giving us detail in advance in this book. So tonight, make sure that you know Jesus. Because to know him is to love him, and to love him is to be with him. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you, Lord, for the promise of that millennial kingdom. Lord, and for such a vast majority of us here tonight, we do know you. We love you. We've come for that very reason. God, we love you. We wanted to study your word, and so we've come. And you've told us these bits and pieces of these last day's event. And we want to thank you that we who are saved, we who are here, who are in Christ Jesus, will not see these things. Lord, we're going to be in heaven. And we will return with Jesus when he comes to rule and reign. But Lord, by chance, should there be anyone here tonight that does not know you, They have never said yes to that grace gift. Lord, I pray as the pastors come forward, Lord, as they gather together here in the front of this sanctuary, that, Lord, they'd simply rise up from where they are and come down and confess their sin and invite you, Jesus, into their lives so that they might be saved. So, Lord, convinced by your Spirit that these words are true, Lord, they're not my words. You wrote them. You authored them. And so, God, we bless you for your truth. We pray that as we live out our lives, Lord, we be excited about the days and times that we live in because we know the nearer we get to the end, the closer we are to your coming. And so, God, we bless you for that reminder. Pray that you'd strengthen us, encourage us. Lord, we look forward to that day when we see you face to face. And until then, would we be found walking and working, and waiting. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?